Good morning. Welcome to New Hope. It's good to be back here. Had the privilege uh, a couple weeks ago of being out in San Francisco for the annual meetings of the Evangelical Theological Society, the Society of Biblical Literature, the American Academy of Religion, and then in between them all, the Institutes for Biblical Research. So any of you who are still awake, <coughs> uh, I, I am, uh, no, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to go to these conferences every year. I'm grateful that New Hope supports me to do so. And I'm very pleased to announce to you that we're going to have a special guest speaker at New Hope, uh, A.J. Levine. Some of you remember A.J. who spoke at uh, St. Mary's a few years ago. She's an uh, internationally renowned professor of New Testament at Vanderbilt. And uh, she will be here on November 24th, 2013. So <coughs> mar- mark your calendars. Plan it. In fact, we will still be in Romans. We're going to be in a very interesting part of Romans. Uh, AJ, in fact, AJ is, is uh, uh, not only is she a uh, renowned New Testament scholar, she's also an Orthodox Jew and uh, somebody with whom I've been I- involved actively in uh, interfaith dialogue uh, and drinking brood things together. So we really, um, we're, it's a privilege for us to have her. Uh, I, I told her, uh, this is what we can offer you. It's a lot less than what some... Episcopalian Church will offer, but we asked first, so we got her. Uh, so this morning we lit the peace candle, and in the interest of not burning the place down, we just blew out the peace candle. As what, what was last week's candle? We blew out whatever last week's candle was too, because we'll be, um, you know, the thing with the thing with Christian bookstores is. They, they've got these books, and they've got CDs, but then in the front they have what is known in, in the industry as Jesus junk. Extraordinarily cheap, tacky, kitschy stuff. And when uh, the Christian bookstores sell you Advent candles, inevitably they are the cheapest, fastest burning ones they can get their hands on. So somebody, I think, is going to purchase some quality candles from a place like Michael's and then will not burn the place down. But for now... They're out. Just pretend they're lit. Today was the peace candle, though. And so let me ask this. What gets in the way of peace? War, pride, Kara? Not liking people? Okay. What else? Yes. Arguments get in the way of peace. What else gets in the way of peace? Work. Selfishness. Eileen? Fear gets in the way of peace. Danielle? Sin. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Sin gets in the way of peace. What else gets in the way of peace? Injustice gets in the way of peace. Greed. Christmas. Amen. I, yeah, little drummer boy. Yeah. Yes, Kara. Unrighteous. Wow, Joe, you got these kids trained up, haven't you? Yes. <clears throat> Amelia? What? annoyingness that's you know i it's good that you mentioned that because probably the the one when when i think about what gets in the way of peace whether it's in the workplace whether it's in our homes whether it's in our neighborhoods or community associations or hockey teams or international community i think one of the big things that gets in the way of peace is jerks y'all with me 
I mean, everything would be just fine. We could just kind of get along, except that some people are going to be jerks about it. Right? You agree. Wait, what? No, 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 no. We've got you contained for now. One of the things that God's people have always had to put up with is not only the problems that come from sin, from unrighteousness, from the enemy that prowls about looking for someone to devour from our own fallenness, our own weaknesses, but we also have faced predation from jerks people who want to take advantage of us. Certainly this was true of the people to whom Isaiah was writing. We're in Isaiah's uh, prophecies. Here we are starting in chapter... We started last week in chapter 48. Uh, Rick started us off with a very brief history, and since the kids are here, I will just give it to you very quickly. Uh, here we have God's people who at this point in, uh, in Isaiah... Uh, the, the writer is speaking to them in, from the perspective of someone who's speaking to exiles. God's people had been placed in their land. Remember, he saved, saved them out of Egypt, did the whole, the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. You guys saw the movie, right? Charlton, you saw either, either, you probably saw Prince of Egypt, right? Yeah, back in the day, it was Ten Commandments. What? We had it and it broke. Okay, we'll make sure we get another one. Uh, but, God saves his people, puts them in the land. He establishes them, gives them everything they need to flourish, everything they need to prosper, everything they need to thrive. He gives them their, his Torah. He gives them safety. He gives them prosperity, health. And what happens? They blow it. He says, look, if you will obey me, if you'll be faithful to me, you are going to have it better than anybody could ever imagine. And the whole world is going to see how good it is when my people follow me, and they're going to want to as well. But God's people decided they wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to find their security in relationships with neighbors, in the protection of others rather than in God. They decided that they wanted to live the way they wanted to, not the way God told them that they had to. And as God promised, the land vomited them out. Did you know that? Is that in the Bible there's throwing up? An entire land throws up a whole people. Pretty cool, huh? The land vomited out God's people. They were taken off into exile in Babylon. And so last week, at the beginning of chapter 48, we hear God saying, Listen to this, O house of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel. And here in chapter 48, God is addressing his people. But here in the chapter 49, starts with the very same word, listen or hear, listen up, open your ears, but somebody else is being addressed. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. So this isn't God's people being addressed, is it? This is other nations, the most far-flung ones, in fact. The speaker is speaking basically to the entire world and says, listen up, I have something to say, something you need to hear. Before I was born, Yahweh called me. And When you see in your Bibles, Lord in capital letters, that means Yahweh, the name of God. Yahweh called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. 
He made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So who's talking here at this point? Who do we think is talking? You are my servant, Israel. Okay. But I said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet I know what is due me is in Yahweh's hand. My reward is with my God. I trust God will take care of me and vindicate me, but I sure don't feel it right now. And now, Yahweh says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. Wait a minute. How can this be Israel? Yahweh says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. Okay, so the speaker has a commission to bring Jacob back, to gather Israel to God. Hmm. Are you confused? Is you confused a little bit? I'm confused. I think we're supposed to be. I could be wrong. I think the biblical author wants us to be going, now hang on a sec, what's going on here? You ever, go, you ever watch a movie with somebody and they lean over and say, who's that? You're like, I think you're supposed to wonder that. What's she going to do? <laughs> I don't know, but let's find out. <laughs> Sometimes the Bible's like that. So I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh. My God has been my strength. He says, you know, it's too small a thing for you being my servant just to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And this is what Yahweh says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up, princes will see and bow down. Because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you, this is what... Yahweh says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you. And I will make you to be a covenant for the people. To restore the land. To reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out. And to those who are in darkness, be free. Who might this be about? You kids have any ideas? Okay. Okay. Here's the deal. When you're in church and there's a question, if in doubt, the answer is Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Got it? <All> right. Okay. <clears throat> so who might this be? Danielle? Jesus, good. Yeah. 
Yeah, it seems like what Isaiah is doing here is he is talking about some sort of deliverer, some sort of savior. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means the deliverer, the savior. It seems like he's talking about Messiah, the one who's going to save God's people, who, in a sense, embodies the commission of Israel not only to be faithful to God, but also to be a blessing to the nations. There's a sense in which Messiah is supposed to not only be on a mission to Israel to call Israel back to himself, but also to be fulfilling what Israel was supposed to be, doing what it was supposed to do in bringing the whole world to himself, because it's too small a thing. Verse 6, and probably you have it translated, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant. It's even stronger than that in the Hebrew. It's too small a thing for you since you are my servant. It's too small a thing for someone who is my servant just to restore the tribes of Jacob, just to bring back those of Israel I've kept, which is a fairly big deal, no? I mean, Rick told us last week, you, I mean, bringing back the tribes of Jacob, 10 of them are lost, right? We've had 10 of the tribes lost, taken off to Assyria, assimilated with the other nations that the Assyrians had captured. All you got left is Judah and little Benjamin and then the Levites. The rest of them are, are gone. So bringing back all the tribes of Israel is, is going to be no mean feat. But I, God says that's, that's too small a thing. No, I'm also going to make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation. Where? To the ends of the earth. All the way to those islands, those distant nations. They will feed beside the roads, my people. They will find pasture on every barren hill. They'll neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads. My highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some even from the region of Aswan. And nobody knows what the heck that is. That could be Aswan in, in southern Egypt. It's a damned place. Uh, or it could be, uh, there's another way you could read the text, and it could be as far away as China. Basically, the idea is though, as far away as you can imagine, they're going to be coming back in from there. So shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for Yahweh comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Good news, right? This is great. All right, let's pray. No. He's not done, is he? We're only halfway through the chapter. See, verse 14, Zion said, yeah, but Yahweh's forsaken me. Yahweh's forgotten me. Here I am in exile. This is all very nice, Isaiah, but here we are in exile. We're under the, th the thumb of the Babylonians. We're here in a wetlands reclamation project, which is a polite way of saying we're filling in swamps. We feel forsaken by Yahweh. In fact, we feel forgotten. feel forgotten. Oh, God says, can a, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Oh, she may forget. I will not.
forget you. So I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your sons hasten back. Those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares Yahweh. Wear them all like ornaments. You'll put them on like a bride. Though, though you were ruined, you were made desolate. Your land was laid waste, but now you will be too small for your people. Here he's addressing the land itself. Not going to be enough room. Those who devoured you, they'll be far away. But the, the children who were born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. We need more space to live in. And you'll say in, in your heart, who, who, where, where did these come from? Who bore me these? I was bereaved. I was barren. I was exiled. I was rejected. But here I got all these kids. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? No, God says, I'm not going to forget my people. Never does God forget. Never does God forget. His people. But neither does God forget the enemies of His people. This is what the Lord Yahweh says. Verse 22. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms, carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers, their queens, your nursing mothers. They'll bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. And then you will know that I'm Yahweh. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors? Can captives be rescued from the fierce? This is what Yahweh says, yes. In fact, captives will be taken from warriors. Plunder will be retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children. I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They'll be drunk on their own blood as with wine. And then all mankind will know that I, Yahweh, am your deliverer, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. God will not forget His people and He will not forget the enemies of His people. And He gives the offer. And it always stands for those who are His enemies to become His friends. The idea from the very beginning, was that God's people, Israel, would be blessed by Him to be a blessing to others. God's always been about an agenda of cosmic reconciliation. He didn't just snatch out one people to take care of them and keep them safe while everything else went to hell. No, He calls a people so that they can be a blessing to the world around them, so that they can draw everyone else in to loving the one true God. God opens His arms to those who come to Him. But to those who continue to oppose Him, 
He promises He will not forget them. Will not forget their rebellion. Ultimately, ultimately we will have peace. The day will come when there is no more war or strife or conflict. And one of the reasons will be for that, that those who contended against God and against His people will become His followers, will switch sides, will turn away from their wickedness and follow Him. And the other reason that there will be peace is that God will deal with the jerks. That God will ultimately say to those who contend against Him, time's up. I will contend with those who contend against My people. I will save their children. We're about to take communion, and especially for those of us, and it's most of us here who have been grafted in, those of us who come from the Gentile nations, those of us who are not descended by blood from Abraham, we are reminded that we are brought into God's presence by His grace, by His mercy, by the blood of this Messiah for whom it was too small a thing simply to restore the tribes of Jacob, but who indeed brought God's salvation to the ends of the earth. We come by His blood because ultimately we choose that we will receive His gracious offer of forgiveness so that we can be not His enemies, but His friends. So I'll invite you to stand with me and recite with me the words of the Nicene Creed. And then come forward and take the elements. We'll take them back to our seats and then partake of them together. The red is wine. The white is grape juice. The bread is unleavened. I believe in God, one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. 
We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.